Welcome to Bear Creek AG. You're getting ready to listen to our current Bible study. Right now, Pastor Tony is walking through the book of James. So grab your Bible and a notepad or journal and join us. start in James chapter 1 tonight and want to welcome everybody watching online. Hey guys, and by the way, for you all that's in person, I don't want to encourage you to stay home on Wednesday nights, but if you do miss a Wednesday night, uh, it will be on next Wednesday so you can uh, uh, pick up where we left off if you are enjoying this Bible study. And, and truthful, you don't have an option to enjoy it or not right now because we've only had one week of it, so you don't know if you're enjoying it or not. But I hope tonight as we jump in and we continue in chapter 1 that you uh, that the, the word will, as, as James is going to point out, is going to bring life to you and salvation to you. So uh, I want to quickly review. For you online, you probably can't see the marker board up here. But for those in, in person, I want you guys to be able to see the marker board. Because what's in blue is what we covered last week. Um, and so we looked at James chapter 1. We got through the first 18 verses. And as you see up there, we said from James chapter 1 that there are three things, three truths that we, uh, that we can learn when we face trials and tribulations okay and the and the very first thing that we talked about and this is just review like I said is that when we go through trials we have to understand that God is sovereign over those trials just plain and simple when you're going through a hard time know that God is permitting it God allows it we may not like that aspect of our faith but we do we can look at stories throughout the word of God where people godly people Job was a godly man who went through trials God allowed his faith to be tested but understand when God does that, it's all our perspective how we look at trials. If we look at them as, well, and I'm not saying you got to warn them, hey, God, bring on the trials. I don't mean that at all when I say that. But when we open our hearts to it, when the trial hits and we get over the shock of the trial, okay, I'm in this trial, I'm going through something I don't understand, I didn't bring it on myself, God's allowing it. That's in those moments, these are the truths you can understand. That first, that God is sovereign over our trials. God is working in those trials. And we talked about different ways that he works within those trials. And one of the things that we found very interesting is, is in verse 2, it starts right off with, it's, uh, James says, count it all joy, or count it pure joy, depending on the translation you're reading. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm going through trials, and God wants me to count it as joy? Come on, how can, how can I, when I'm going through a hard time, how, how can, what is joyful about it? The only thing joyful about a hard time going through a trial is when it's over. Right, but but as we looked at that, we saw that we there's some things we can learn through these trials. We can learn to grow in His likeness. It's through the trials that it's kind of like a rubber band. You have to stretch it out for it to reach its potential. And it's the same way. God, it's like I preached two weeks ago. How many of y'all were here when I preached the message of faith's perspective? We talked about Hannah and the and the birth of Samuel. Remember that it's 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 all in our perspective. We got to look at things not know so much from our vantage point, but from God's vantage point. What is what is God trying to do and we can grow in his likeness this is a foundational statement you have to understand one day you and I are going to stand before God Almighty and just I want to just this is a pregnated pause I just want to stop think about that day you stand before God everything God is doing everything the Holy Spirit is doing in you right now is to prepare you for your judgment day when you stand before God and the whole purpose of what God's trying to do is transform you into the image of his son Jesus so that when he sees you, and this is, and there again, I've shared with some folks, I'm a children's pastor, so I put things in simple terms. That doesn't mean to insult you. That doesn't mean you're simple-minded. Just I put things in simple terms. That I look at it that one day, God, I'm going to stand for God. He's going to say, oh, wait a minute, that's my son. You look and you act. You've got the same attitude and ways of, as my son. Well done. You did well. You look a lot like my son. Well done. Come on in. You've been faithful. Come on in to your reward, right? That's, that's what it's all about. He's preparing us for that day. And we know from Ephesians chapter 2 that he has things, good works laid out before us to do in advance. So part of that is knowing that through trials and through tribulations, he is transforming us so that we can fulfill the purpose and the goals that God has for our lives. Uh, the second thing we said that we can find in joy in going through trials is we learn to trust God's wisdom. We talked about that. We don't have all the knowledge. He is, he's all-knowing. We look at things from our perspective. God sees things from every perspective, right? And then we talked about experience. We've experienced certain things, but we know that Jesus experienced everything that we go through. So God has that perspective. So we can trust God. We can trust his wisdom, 
okay? Third thing we said about finding joy, remember we're still under point number one, God's sovereign over our trials, and this is his sovereignty is how he's accomplishing these four things, okay? How we can count it all joy. The third thing we said is we learn to rely on God's resources. Now, we can relate to this, can't we? Do I even have to mention the name Michael to anybody here tonight? Hurricane Michael? I don't know how about y'all, but it was just two years ago. I didn't have electricity for 60 days, however long it was. You know, I, ate, I was eating everything out of my deep freeze I could because I was running off a generator. It's like, this is all I have. I can't, you know, the stores aren't open. But, you know, I learned to rely on God's resources. He used people. He used FEMA. He used um, a Convoy of Hope. Uh, to, to minister to my physical needs. Uh, the district, he used the district to, to, to minister to our financial needs. And so with it, what, what did that learn? When we go through these times, we know that we can lean on God. We forget that sometimes. When we're under the umbrella of grace, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You have no needs. You know, if you've been here anytime, you know I say that all the time. I don't have any needs. God's got my needs. I don't have any. And I turn them over to him, and I walk in faith trusting because I know that I can rely on God's resources. The fourth reason we can rejoice when we go through, or we can count up pure joy when we go through hard times is we learn to live for his reward. And, you know, there's sometimes that we just got to, as Colossians 3 tells us, we, we got to look on things above. And we got to know that uh, life is but a vapor, and it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And I like this imagery. I'm about. I'm a. I'm there again. I'm a simple person, and I like. I like pictures. I like books with lots of pictures because that means there's less words in there to read. Uh, and but I think about if I had a rope stretched from this wall to that wall as tight as I could get it, and I could take the end of a needle and stick it anywhere in there, in the in the time life of a uh, timeline of life of eternity from the beginning to whenever this, that's my life. I'm just a dot. I'm just a moment on that rope, that string. I mean, according to the Bible, this earth was created a little over 6,000 years ago. I know scientists say millions of years ago. I'm not going to debate. If it's millions of years ago, that just makes my point even more, right? But I'm just a dot. It's just a vapor. So with that, my mind is, Lord, I'm going through hard times, but I know, Father, you're faithful. I, I can rely on you. You're going to see me through this. Uh, I can count on you. You've got wisdom. You're sovereign in all this. And God... Regardless, one day it's all going to be over. It's all going to be over. I'm going to be in his presence. And so with it, you know what? It is rough, but this is, I'll say it, this is, the, this is the worst it's going to get for me. Because I'm going to heaven. See? For those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, this is the best it's going to get. And that's a perspective when you think about it. So we talked about that. Those are the four things we can learn from the very first point. Now, from there, we're going to pick up from there because that's as far as we got last week. And, and so we're still talking about the three truths uh, that we, we can understand. There's truths that we can face when we are, we're facing trials and tribulations. Like I said, the first one we just mentioned. So the second one is this. All right. So the first thing we learn is God is sovereign in our trials. Therefore, our trials can be a joy. God is sovereign, and we can find joy in Him. The next major truth James is teaching us and is, God, is, is God and His sovereignty will test our faith, and He will do it for our good. But we have to be careful not to assume that God tempts us to turn from Him and His ways. God is faithful through our trials. He allows trials. But in those trials, do you know with every trial, there comes a temptation? It does. Let's read verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted. Wait a minute. He was just talking about trials. And he shifts to temptation. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is, when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, all right? Well, he just talked about trials, and I always talk about temptations, but for every trial brings a temptation. Do you agree with that statement? Think about it, all right? Think about trials. When you face financial challenges, what is your temptation? To distrust God's faithfulness. Brother Jim, you have a comment there? Hang on, let him get this on the, on the microphone. Sorry. 
when Christ was sent into the desert, this just came to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a trial for him. He fasted for 40 days. 40 sure days. was. But God did not tempt him. Satan tempted him. Absolutely. But he overcame that temptation with the word of God. Make my point. After fasting for 40 days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point. And that's actually one of the points I'm about to make here in a moment is that we give examples of this in the Bible. Absolutely. The trial was what? Going without food and water in the desert by himself. The temptation was what? When Satan came, he gave him three temptations. We won't break them all down. But we know one of them was food, right? One of them was, was getting uh, just being worshipped. The other one was, was, was having owning everything, right? So body, soul, and spirit. Absolutely. All three aspects of, of the, our creation. That was the temptation, but he didn't act on the temptation. He used the word of God. All right. How about this? Someone dies. I deal with this a lot, obviously, in ministry. Someone close to you dies. It, it, it when it's, it's, it's like when it's unexpected or if it's someone that's not older. It's amazing how people question God. They question God. And, and, then, and, and they start doubting God's love and his plans. Now, I don't want to break down the theology of death, but if that person is a believer in Christ, it's not that we don't mourn. We just don't, we don't mourn like those who have no hope, though, right? We know we're going to see that individual again. It does hurt. I'm not saying I'm a man of steel. One day when my mama passes away, one day when my dad passes away, one day when my wife passes away. I'm going first, baby. We talk about that. Joking with her. It's a joke between her and I. That's when the kids were little. <laughs> now we're fighting to stay alive. But, um, you, you know, it's, I'm going to be sad, but I know I'm going to see these people again. And it's amazing how people will doubt God's love or God's plans. Or when things don't go to, go the way you plan or what you want, we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and change the course of our lives. Now, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things moving pieces to that. We need to be sensitive to God. There's things we might need to do. But the whole thing is we abandon God's plan for us, and we panic, and we go out here and do things. Why? It's because uh, that's the temptation when we go through trials. Your faith is being challenged. What was Job's trial he lost everything except for his wife what was his temptation anyone know curse curse god and die his temptation was just let his temptation was just to end his life because it was so miserable well god's the only one who should give and take life or should take life right absolutely so so we see that so god may test us but he's but he does not and cannot and will not tempt us see when the temptations come, this is the point. It's not of God, and we must be responsible in that temptation. We have to take responsibility when we're faced with a temptation that's contrary to what God's will is for our lives. Okay, And James makes this very clear in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. He just talked about trials. Now the temptations that come with trials, you're not being tempted by God. He says, no, you can't say that. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts nobody. God doesn't tempt us. See, All right, so in no way can God be blamed for temptation. Then who is responsible for the temptation? Who does James say is responsible? John? Actually, brought on by ourselves. Okay. Carnal man. And Brother Jim's right. We're going to get to what Brother Jim said. But initially, where does it begin? The temptation begins with us, doesn't it? Right? But each person is tempted when he, or can I say she, is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. See? That's powerful. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. James doesn't say Satan drags us away and entices us. But does Satan play a part in it? Of course. Uh, Satan, I, I kind of view Satan, he's, he's kind of like an opportunist. He's kind of like hunters. If you didn't know it, game wardens view all hunters as opportunists. You may not have known that. Given an opportunity, you will kill something, whether it's in season or out of season, if you have a gun and you have the opportunity. You see a deer riding down the road. I know guys who will pull their truck over and hit them with their truck, right? They're opportunists. And that's the way Satan is. He's an opportunist. When he sees that you're down, when he sees, y'all shake your heads laughing, come on. Anybody can shoot a deer with a gun. 
You try to hit one with a truck. I've done it. <laughs> Not intentionally, but I've done it. But yeah, but this is what James is telling. This is great, though. Just think about it. It's not Satan. Satan piles on. We're good about letting Satan know what we're struggling with, don't we? Because we speak it. We go do things. We start thinking. Not that he can read our minds, but he could definitely see what we're going through. He's, he's, he's got an army of his own imps, his own demonic soldiers that, can, that are very wise in their own way. So, he, uh, so hey, this guy is down. Let, we know what his weakness is. Let's tempt him in that area. So, yes, Satan plays a part. But James says we've got to be responsible for it. All right? We have to be responsible for our own temptation. All right? We only have ourselves to blame for our sin. Satan doesn't. Oh, Y'all remember who Flip Wilson is? Anybody remember that? The devil made me do it. No, the devil don't make you do nothing, right? He don't make you do anything. You do it of your own free will, but he may tempt you. He may be a part of that luring. So we can look at Adam and Eve. We see this in the works. What was Adam and Eve's trial? What was the trial God put before them? The tree, the, the knowledge of good and evil, right? He says, look, you eat of any plant you want to, have at it. It's yours. But this, and everybody said, why would God do that? That was their test. That was the test that God put for them to see if they would remain faithful to him. It was a test. It really was. I mean, we could break that down deeper than that. But on the surface, that's why God put it out there. Why else would God? Well, that's what it was there for, to keep them, okay, going to see if you're going to walk in obedience to me, right? All right. What was the temptation? Eat the fruit. Now, Satan did come along and say, hey, did God really say? Question what God really said. But God didn't, we didn't nowhere do we say that Satan pulled the fruit and said, here, eat it. Even if he did, no one says, nowhere in the scriptures does it say he crammed it down Eve's throat. No, he just simply says, Look, you know, I don't know this. I, I, there again, it's my imagination. I wonder if sometimes Eve, he didn't see Eve walking around it. Boy, that's a pretty tree. Because isn't it our temptation to want what we can't have? It really is. And I, I said, this is my own theology. I don't know if he, she really did that. But I could see, oh, isn't that a pretty, pretty tree? Look how beautiful. Oh, that fruit. I've never seen fruit so pretty like that. Mm -hmm. Man, oh, man, it feels, you know, I don't know if she probably, she probably hadn't touched it before then because she said it wasn't even, she wasn't supposed to touch it, and God never said that. But you get my point. Yeah, it, it was her. She's the one who sinned, her and Adam, and they were held responsible. And we mentioned about Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, you're tempted when you're lured. When you are lured or drawn away. Uh, when you're drawn away from what? What are you drawn away from? What is it that lures you? Not the temptation, but what? when you're lured away, what are you lured away from? If this is what I'm lured to, and I shouldn't touch it, what am I, what, what am I lured from? Think about it. Let's study the Word. Relationship? John? That's what I was going to say. You're lured from the holiness of God in Good. your life distracted from what you should be doing. Okay. And how do we know what we should and shouldn't be doing? The word. The truth. Whether you want to say it's the word. Eve didn't have the word written, but she had the word of God. And so when you're lured, when you're tempted, what you're lured away from is the truth of what God wants for you. See? That makes sense? Like I said, we're going we're going to spend some time right here. I wish the whole church was here tonight. This is good stuff. How many of y'all fight with temptation in areas in your life? Just be honest. You ain't got to confess what it is. I'm right? Sure. There's times I get tempted to be angry and short with people. There's times that I'm tempted to eat more than what I should. There's times. There's, listen, I could go down my dirty laundry list. Reality is. But anytime I do that, what I'm lured away from is the truth of God's word for my life. Brother Jim, real quick, let's get that mic over there to him. I've heard it said a while back that, and it made a lot of sense to me, that too many Christians want to see how close they can get to sin yeah. without sinning. Yeah. What is sin? Yeah. Instead of getting burned, for some reason, they like being burned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And, and, and here's the reason why. Let's be honest. Sin's fun. Sin is fun. That's the word. The word says for a season, sin's enjoyable. 
There's times I'd like to go out there and live like the world. There's times I'd like to go out and do it, but for a season, it's fun. Miss Cheryl? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to sit on that committee when I could be in that structure. Right. But now I want to touch it. Yes. Is it how wet is it? Yeah. What Brother Jim just said. What is sin? What is is? Thank you, Bill Clinton. For y'all under, old enough to remember that. <laughs> when he was found caught in infidelity with with uh, one of the interns. I won't mention names. You guys know the story. If you don't, you can go Google it. Uh, what is is I did not have sexual relationships with that woman what is is and that was his quote and then how how wet is the the pain yeah yeah and and that's it and so what James is teaching us is, is that we are lured or we're enticed by our desires we are born with a sinful nature and there are desires and then things that happen that we that we are exposed to also affect that, okay? And so with that, those things, and, and, and I know there's times that I can fight temptation in my life, and man, it seems like, okay, I haven't struggled with, you know, I, my, you know, I'm, there again, I don't want to chronicle all my struggles in life, but just different areas, whether it's my weight or my temper or, or whatever it may be, my disciplines, and uh, I do good for a while, but then all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, I th- there's, there's something there that entices me. That tempts me, and I'm lured. And that word lured means to take the bait. How many of y'all are fishermen in here? Are fisher women, fisher people? Yeah, yeah. You know, you throw an empty hook out there, you usually don't get any bites. Now, I've only seen it one time, twice in my life, where I actually did that with a gold hook and actually caught fish. <clears throat> but they were desperate. They were hungry, and they were conditioned. They were conditioned, okay? Uh, but the reality is, you put that cricket, you put that worm on there, boy, <laughs> You take the bait. And that's what that means. You are lured by your own desire and you take it. And when you take the bait, the worm, when you do that, what you have done is now it has become sin. This is deep. This is powerful. It's not really deep, but I mean, think about it. Think about, the, think about your own personal sin struggles, your temptations. What causes you to do that? Well... Get lured. I just I start getting tempted. I start thinking about, it, start dwelling on it, and that's it. Sin starts in the mind. See, I saw a hand. Someone had a hand up. Yes, brother John. It reminds me of David when he just could have turned his head. Yeah, just quit looking at her. David, quit looking at Bathsheba. Oh, but I gotta I gotta know who she is. Why? I mean, I imagine his bodyguards. He told him, I can tell you who she is. You ought to know because he's one of your right-hand men in the army. That's, that's his wife. Well, I just want you to make sure. Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yes, sir, you're the king. I'll do it. And I want you to bring her up here. Well, that's the last thing he needed to do, right? Lured by his own temptation. Once you bite, you sin. Whether it is Satan luring you or simply your flesh, be careful not to act on your desires because that leads to sin and death. So the first three, three things that we can learn, the first two are God is sovereign in our, in our trials, and we are responsible. We need to be responsible in our temptations. God will not tempt you. If you're going through a trial, yes, that could be God. But if there's any temptation there, you do not act on that temptation because that's not of God. Okay? Now, um, so what do you do when during these trials and temptations? What do you do the time when you are so prone to fix uh, your eyes on your situation and circumstances that you miss what God is, in, has in store for you. So what do you do? What do you do when in the presence of temptation, uh, which uh, we are prone to be dragged and enticed by? What do we do? Well, let's read verses 16 through 18 and see what James is. Remember, this is all within the context of faith and works and how we live our life and make a difference in our community. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, and I will put in their sisters, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God. What's that tell you about God's nature? What does that scripture right there tell you about God's nature? You know it, but what did it tell you? Your theology on what you know comes, one of them, part of it comes from the scripture. What does that tell you about God's nature? Oh, come on, students. He never changes. 
There you go. We say it all the time. God never changes. There's another scripture that proves. That's what James is saying. Uh, of his own, excuse me, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a, uh, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the third thing we can learn through trials and temptations is God is faithful for our salvation. He just mentions it right there. He is faithful for our salvation. In your trials and temptations, do not believe the lies that you may hear. Well, God's punishing me for this. God doesn't love me here. God's turned his back on me. I must not be saved. Don't listen to those lies at all. You have to be confident in who you know God to be and who you are in God. Remember that God is good, the source of all that is good, and he wants what is good for you. Do you, do you understand that? I know I'm speaking to the cream of the crop here tonight. You get brownie points for coming out on a Wednesday night after time changed on a holiday. But do you understand that God only wants what is good for you? Even through your trials, God wants what is good for you. You have to be convinced of this. You have to know without a shadow of a doubt that I know there's sowing and reaping. We've got to take the whole full body teaching of the Word of God. If you do something dumb, there is going to be repercussions. But that's not God. That's you. If you give in to your enticements, you give in to your lust, you give in to your temptations, the pride of life, the lust of flesh, love of God, you do that, there are repercussions. But that's not God. God only wants what's good for you. And you have to be convinced of that. He wants what is good for you. So trust Him in your trials and turn to Him in your temptations. Because why? He is going to be your source of salvation in the trial, and he's going to be your source of salvation in the temptation. Go ahead. We do the same thing with our children. We, we want them to have the best and, and to, to do their best. Yes. And do what we say. Or, you know, we, we have plans for them. Yes. And when they don't go that direction, then it hurts us. We still love them. Absolutely. But it still hurts. It just hurts. And there are times we have to correct them, don't we? Yes, they get I think there's a book that says that, I'm out and all that. that he chastised those he loves. What book is that? There's a book I've read somewhere that talks about that somebody, I think his name is God, sorry for the sarcasm, chastised, corrects, rebukes those whom he loves. Why? I don't want you going down this path. This is not... My plan. This is not good. David got chastised. The prophet Nathan came to him. David realized, oh, this is me. He repented. There were consequences. The child died. And the rest of the consequences were there was discord in his family. Great leader, terrible dad. Great army leader, terrible husband. See? And, and so we see that, but yes, we God wants... God wants what is best for you. You got to keep that in mind when you're going through trials. He'll see you through it. You're going to come out of it better. And, and, and if I had time right now to give everybody an opportunity to give testimony, I bet you every one of you in here can remember a hard time that you went through that you didn't bring on yourself. And you can look back and say, that was a trial. And yet you see 2020, how God moved in it, and how you grew in the Lord. Or how God helped you. It may have opened doors for you down somewhere, whether it's in a relationship or in a job or, uh, or something to do uh, with, with family. See? Not everything bad that's going on in your life is bad. It's your perspective. Trials can actually be good for you. They are. And then turn to t God in your temptations. Brother John? I just have to say that um, in my family, I'm trying to keep something I learned from my great-grandmother and Mama Jane yeah. and all the women. Growing up, all I ever heard was, the Father knows what's good for you. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. God's got it in control. But I don't hear that with a lot of families. They don't hear it being spoken. Yeah. It's got to be reinforced. say that. Well, in, in, the, in the, John, there again, I don't, I don't want to be browbeaters. I don't know how much, I don't know how much, with all the distractions that we have in, in our culture today here in America, with all the, the luxurious items, the technology, the TV, <clears throat> and I'm going to say this just kind of casually, 
and I'm not making, I am making a blanket statement, but it's a very broad, not detailed. I don't know how much of the Bible is being taught to our kids in our homes. We may be living it in front of them, which is great. But we need to be tying it to the Word of God. Do you know why mommy didn't do this? Or do you know why mommy did do this? Do you, do you know why mommy is spanking you for this? Because the Bible says that if I love you, I'm going to correct you and this is wrong. And it's not blaming God, but it's just teaching. I love you. I don't want to hurt you, but I don't want you to do this anymore. May this teach you because God doesn't want you to do this anymore. When you disrespect mommy, that hurts God's heart. The Bible says, matter of fact, if you honor mom, and honor means, if you go into the, depending on their age, what it means to honor, it says, and dad, guess what? You're going to live a long life. That's the word. See? And I think there's got to be more teaching when it comes to that. Why we do. Why do we get up on Sundays and go to church? Well, the Lord told us that this day is set aside for him. And that we should remember him in it and honor him. So we come together for that purpose. See, it's alarming to me, and I'm going to get on my soapbox. And I know with COVID, it's crazy right now. It's so crazy. Um, but it's amazing to me. Church doesn't save you. Church does not. Going to church don't mean you're going to heaven. I know that. But church can definitely help you on your journey. And if we will teach our kids that, it's alarming to me how many families are just, and there again, there's no condemnation. If you're watching tonight, I, no condemnation. So I'm not, I'm really not casting stones. But as a pastor, as a shepherd, it alarms me because I've seen it in my 20-something plus, almost 30 years of ministry, how families break up, how they dissolve, how they just come apart, and how kids go this and do that. And it's like, and they come to the church to fix the problem. It's like, we can't fix the problem. Even if you've been coming, we may not be, but we can definitely reinforce what you're, we can definitely reinforce what you're teaching them. We can definitely give them the word of God. We can definitely help. They can definitely have, the kids can have a social group here that most of the kids, hopefully all the kids are godly. We can't, I mean, we, we, we don't know. We, we trust. They're growing. They're making mistakes just like all of us did coming up through our elementary, middle school, and high school days. But you hear my point. It's, a, it's like, man. It used to be the day that the church was our social group. And there again, I'm not knocking. I coached baseball for years. I played football. I'm not against the sports, the dance. I'm not against any of that. Hear my heart. Hear my heart. Because I know we want our kids to grow up and have a better life than we had it. And we want them to be to do things that we couldn't do. I get it. Maybe you couldn't, your parents couldn't afford to do those things. You, see, you want. I get it. We have a, this idea of living our lives through our children sometimes. But if we send our kids to school 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week, and we don't bring them but to two hours a month to church, we're more worried about them reading, writing, being able to kick a football, throw a baseball 90 miles an hour, or being able to dance and twirl, but when which brings pleasure to this life and achievement and teaches them life skills. But what are we teaching them about God and God's plans for them and about eternity? And then how to face the temptation when the little boy comes up and wants to touch your daughter inappropriately. Well, sweetheart, you don't want a little boy to do that. And this is why the Bible says that that's, that's for you and your husband one day when you're married. God saves that for men. Or when they come in and they pop a cap on a beer. Or they're faced with drugs. Or, or stealing. Or being deceitful at the job and not putting in the hours. I mean, anyways, I've got all my soapbox. Um, God is faithful. God is faithful. Remember, God's goodness is unchanging, it's undeserving, and unending. That's God, Okay. Now we're going to continue on and pick up in verse 19. Um, any questions with that? I mean, we're not changing gears because he's going to continue talking about faith and works. Um, but I, I said a lot right there. You may, God may have laid a thought on your heart you want to share with what we just went through. Anything? Anybody at all? Brother Ben, John, Brother Ben wants to. 
And he's so wise. I want to make sure everybody online hears Brother Ben. I just want to want to say that uh, James is not really a uh, a manuscript. It's more a bunch of messages. He's 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 not teaching. He's preaching to us. Yeah. He's actually laying out what God laid out for him, for us in simple terms, and yeah. we make it hard. We do. Yeah. We make it hard because of the the. It's it's really our will's will versus God's will. It really is, and what we feel like we're entitled to. Yeah. Well, let's continue on then in verses nineteen through twenty-five. So we look there at the first eighteen verses. How do we respond to trials? And now, James, for what little bit of time we have here, well, we've got about fifteen minutes. We'll we'll, we'll jump into it here. Um, now we're going to look at James covers. How do you respond? Uh, how do we respond to the truth of God's word? He said. You're going to go through trials, and you're going to face these trials and temptations, and, and this, is, this is what we need to learn. This is why we can be joyful. Remember, this all has to do with, with, with faith and works. It's, it's what this whole book's about. How do we live this, this life of a Christian life that God wants us to live? He's writing, remember, if you missed last week, the people, James, he's, this is the brother, half-brother of, of Jesus. He was the pastor, if you want to call it, the leader of the Jerusalem church. This letter is written to the, to the Jews who were scattered during the persecution of Acts chapter 8 when Stephen is martyred and they have to scatter. He's writing this letter to people who've lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost their family under persecution. And so when you recapitulate that and think about, hey, you count it all joy when you go through this. And now he's going to say, okay, now you're, you're facing some real issues here that's going to try what you believe. And you've got to make some decisions on how you're going to live your life. So how do you respond to the truth of God's Word? You know it. I'm giving it to you. You've heard the truth of God's Word. So how do you do it? So let's look at verses 19 through 25 and see that there are three ways we should respond to God's Word. We're only going to probably cover one, okay? So verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, so he includes the sisters in this one, Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. I'm going to say that again. Everyone. That includes me. I need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's good. That's good preaching. That's good teaching right there. Therefore, because, therefore what? Because it doesn't produce the righteousness God desires, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, how does James know there's word planted in them? He's their pastor. He was preaching to them, teaching them before they were scattered. He said, I know. See, I know that about y'all. I know what I've taught y'all. See, I know what I've preached the last... 10 years. I go back and look at the whole list of messages. I know what you should know if you're listening. So he said, listen, because of that, get rid of your filth, you know, the, the morality, the evil, okay? Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word. Wow. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, in what? The perfect law, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You want to be blessed in everything you do? Do the word. There is a promise there. So let's look at this. There's three things here that we can look at. We'll look at the first one. First thing is this. In verse 19, James tells us these three things. He says, uh, he says that we are to be quick to listen. Basically, he's saying, hurry up and listen, right? He's saying, hurry up, be quick, tend to veer, right? Uh, he says also, he tells us to be slow to say anything. I was always told you got two ears and one mouth. Listen more than you talk, right? Listen twice as much as you talk. And then, of course, be slow to angry. These three instructions are dealing with what? What is James telling us to hurry up and listen to and not to talk and not to get angry about? What is James talking about? We heard this all the time, and we equate it to everyday life. It is about everyday life. It's definitely a biblical principle we need to apply to anybody we're talking to, communicating to, interacting with within the body and in the world. But what is James specifically telling us that we should be quick to listen to, 
not so quick to speak up about, and not to get angry about. Come on, class. You're smart. What's that whole paragraph was he talking about? Look at that whole paragraph. What's he talking about? God's Word. He said, right, don't just be hearers, but be doers. And he says, when it comes to God's Word, he says, Don't be so quick to speak. Don't be so quick to defend yourself. Don't be so quick to justify your actions. Don't be quick so quick to say what you think it says. He says, no, listen to it. Don't be so quick to speak about it. And let the correction come and don't be angry about it. He's dealing with what? Morality issues. Living the life the way they want to. They're scattered. They're doing what they can do to survive. They're compromising. Just put yourself in their shoes. They're, they had to find new homes, new jobs. They went outside of Jerusalem. They may have actually gone into some Gentile areas to hide from the persecution. Last place you look for a, a, an Orthodox Jew or a, a believer, even a Messianic Jew, at that time, because they still hadn't, they still hadn't received the, the fact that the word that Jesus came to, to reach Gentiles, you wouldn't look for them around Gentiles. This is where these people went. And he's saying, look, you have to be careful about listening first before you say anything or defend yourself, okay? They're dealing with the word of God. In other words, James is telling us the believer should be humble, As he or she approaches the word of God. You have to come with a humble heart. What does a humble heart mean? Talk to me. John, get ready for that. I want these folks to talk about it. When when I say a humble heart, if James is truly implying approach the word with a humble heart, what what does that mean with a humble heart? Come on, somebody give me some talk back, feedback here. All right, James, right up here, brother John, right up front. I think with with the Bible, you have to have an open mind, be willing to change your mind, be willing to let the Bible teach you something that you might not believe already. Absolutely. You know, or make you even correct you, tell you you're wrong about something you think. Absolutely. And I think that's it, James. And we have the we have the luxury of having the written word, don't we? This is my Bible on my iPad, what I primarily do. But back then, the word was already was only spoken. They had the they had the prophets, but they didn't. Every home didn't have a copy of the law and the prophets. They would have been learned about it in school because that was part of their educational. So they did have it in that sense. And I think that's why it says, "Hide God's word in your heart that you not sin against Him." But yeah, it's about approaching it. So every time I read, I'm a pastor. I, I shouldn't have to approach it humbly. I know what this word says. I'm perfect in all my ways. Come on. God has chosen me to lead you. You ought to know there's nothing wrong with me. I don't make any mistakes, do I, sweetheart? I'm perfect in every way, aren't I, baby? No. I have to approach it. Every time I read it, it's like, oh, God, help me. I'm nothing like this. Or I'm doing that. Or it means to be open for the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and start Convicting, changing, molding. Remember what I said? What is God's whole purpose in this life? If we, there's a lot, we could state it so many different ways, but I just said a few minutes ago from last week's lesson, what's the one thing God's doing for us? What's, what's he trying to do for us? He's trying to prepare us for the day we stand before him. And this is one of the ways he does it. Whether you read it, whether it's spoken to you or taught to you like it is tonight, and you have to be open to it. We have to be humble as we approach the Word of God, not coming prideful or with your defenses up, see, open. Why would you not want to approach the Word with your defenses up or pride? Well, I think we answered that. Or, or what are the signs, what is a sign that you're approaching the Word of God with pride? When you think you know it all, or when you're not open to let it correct you, or when you think that's not for me, that's for somebody else. Or, go ahead, John. Or going to the Word without prayer to give discerning over what you're I agree I think we have to bathe Uh, we got to bathe it in prayer I I agree okay I definitely agree with that I think I think God gave us his word we we look at I I grew up in a time with in in, in this particular domination where it's very legalistic your holiness was based on how short or long your hair was for ladies, whether you had short sleeves, long dresses, and I believe in modesty. I think we need to get mod. I think we need to stay modest. So I'm not. I'm just saying, but that was a sign, whether you wore makeup or jewelry, a sign of whether you was holy or not. And and um, so so with that, there there was there was this time that when when we approached the word, 
I, I just know this. There's a lot of times the word was preached, but no one would listen, and they think it's for everybody. It's judgmental. In other words, hey, this is for somebody else, and it's not for me. I kind of lost my train of thought when I was talking about legalism, so forgive me on that. I'm thinking, why, Lord, why did you have me? Maybe you didn't have me go down this path. But it's something about being humble. It's something about understanding and letting it correct you. And I'm glad things have been corrected. I think the pendulums went from here to here, but somebody told me in politics, when the pendulum swing, it always seems to come back somewhere in the middle. And I think that's where we're at today when it comes to church. And it's allowing the to approach the word, not with pride, but with a humble heart. If we come prideful, we may not think it's for us, not open for the words correcting us. If we approach the word with our defenses up, we, we become resistant to the word and even get angry about what it says. We may even make it say what we want it to say. I think that may have been where I was trying to go with that thought. We make it want, we want to, we want to make it say what we want it to say, to line up with the way we think, see. And it seems like to me in today's church in the Christian realm, in the Christian world, we struggle with this. We don't approach God's word really listening. And can I tell you, I know that because I see the lives of the sheep in my church that's under my leadership. And it's like, man, I just preached a great message on that. And they hear it, but they don't do it. See, and it's it's an issue of of not really listening. Uh, we approach it to make it say like I said what we want to say. It's funny how today we justify sin. Well, the Bible really doesn't speak about that. Well, it doesn't necessarily speak specifically to that. And it goes back to what Brother Jim said earlier. What is sin? How close can I get? How close can I get it before I am actually now in sin? Of course, Jesus covered a lot of that in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? If you get angry in your heart, it's like murder. When you get angry towards someone, it's like murder. If you look upon a woman with lust, it's, it's as if you're already having a relationship with her. See? It's a condition of heart. See? And so with it, we, we have to humble ourselves before God and His Word because He gave us His Word. This is, what I was, this is where I was going earlier. We look at the Word of God, um, talking about legalism, we look at the Word of God as a book of do's and don'ts. And there are some do's and don'ts. But this Word is more about how to. How do I live my life for Christ? How do I receive the blessings of of the Lord that he wants to bestow upon me. How do I see the, the windows of heaven open up and more poor? I mean, throughout the Bible's how to. How to. How do I get eternal life? How do I get my healing? It's not a do's or don'ts. It's a how to live your life. It, the Bible, I've heard it said, is the, it's basic instructions before leaving earth. I know you all probably heard it, but yeah. This is our instruction manual. On how to live the life that God wants us to live so that he can bless us. But not for the sake of blessing us. So that we can be a blessing. So we can accomplish the good works that he laid out before us. Because he knew us before we was ever conceived in our mother's womb. And he tells us Jeremiah that he has plans for us. Ephesians 2. He doesn't want to harm you. Oh no, he wants to give you a future hope. See, James is hitting it on the head. How does he do that? He does it through his word. James? Or how come? Yes. Who is? Yes. Absolutely. 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 I agree. Wholeheartedly. See what time I have here. I've got three minutes. There's no way I can finish this this point, but um, just remain humble before the Word. I'll pick it up there next week because we're going to look at some Old Testament scriptures that has promise in it. What I was just telling to you about. Um, let me just encourage you. I don't know if you have a regular reading time. I know this much. This year, when we do our 21 day of fasting, I know that's not fair to say it in the month of November, right here before Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, I will probably be preaching a little bit about fasting in December. I may not do a Christmas theme this year like I usually do in the years past. We will on Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas. Um, but we're also going to do a Bible plan. I want the church, all of us, to read through the Bible in one year. And it's going to be on our Facebook page. If you're not on our Facebook page, we're going to try to make it available for you so you can follow along. And we'll have it printed out. But I want us to. 
I want us to, because why? As my next point is going to be, this is the oxygen to the Christian's life. It's the blood. It's the blood. It's what transforms. It's what, it's what takes the oxygen, the nutrition to the rest of the Christian, your Christian well-being body and strengthens it. And it's also what takes the impurities and the things that need to get out of your body, out of your body. It's all, the word is the blood, the blood flow of the believer. And I might touch a little bit more on that next week. But um, anyhow, I hope this has been good for you tonight. Y'all have been a little bit more talkative. I appreciate that. We pray over you, bless you. And thank you guys, everybody, for joining us tonight online. And um, just as a reminder, I said it to begin with, but let me say it a little bit slower this time. Because uh, sometimes I get nervous at the beginning and start talking quickly. If for some reason you end up, you miss a Wednesday night Bible study, what is re- recorded tonight will be on next Wednesday. So if you miss next Wednesday, you you won't get what we're doing next Wednesday. But you can pick it up, and it's there all week long for weeks to come, probably eternity. It'll be out there, and um, in cyberspace. But know that we're also doing pod. We're not podcasting this. We might be. I need to check with Jenny. But we've got podcast. If you're more of hey, I'm a listener. I'm driving down the road. We just go and, and whatever app you use for podcasts, it's Bear Creek AG. You can listen to me going down. The, you can listen to me 24-7. Wow. Trust me, my wife isn't excited about that. She says, I listen to you enough. Um, but we're, we're, trying to put, we're trying to put the message of the gospel. I told Jenny in my meeting with my, my administrative assistant, our children's pastor, and she's also our online pastor. She does a lot of stuff around here for us. I'm not very comfortable with me being all over cyberspace. I'm really not. I'm not that type of person. It makes me a little uncomfortable. But I'm hoping that the message is going out, and whether it's just reaching one person, it's reaching one person. Somebody, hopefully, I hope if this is podcast that somebody hears this that's going through a trial and say, okay, I see. This is, this is not a bad thing. I don't like it, but it's not a bad thing. Or they're facing temptation, understand the source of temptation, or see them understanding a need to read the word. Amen. Father, I love you and I thank you so much.